some research that found surveying um, evangelical pastors that they actually, uh, more evangelical pastors showed more favoritism to Trump uh, this year than even four years ago than now. Um, and uh, to me, that breaks my brain as somebody who grew up uh, trying to follow Jesus, as somebody who is trying to follow Jesus today. Uh, it is wild how the Jesus born of a poor refugee religious minority became co-opted um, by what we see in the religious right Christian uh, culture today. And that's the whole point we're doing this series is twofold to shift the narrative for many of those out there like me that desire to see where Jesus is, um, but need to know that there's a space to do that that exists uh, outside of what we see in the wider Christian culture. Uh, secondly, uh, we are doing the series because Lord knows I need Jesus right now. Uh, I just I just need Jesus every time I read a news story. I need Jesus every time our president opens his mouth. I need Jesus constantly in this time. I need Jesus to offer me hope when I feel despair. I need Jesus to offer vision where I can't see one. I need Jesus to offer healing where my heart feels wounded. And I think this moment and this space doing this series is important because we wanna make sure that in this time uh, where we see so many co-opting the name of Jesus in, in a light that hurts our hearts, to know that we actually need Jesus right now to help us walk through this next season. So a lot of this series is taking a step back and saying, if we are a Jesus-centered community and we look at who Jesus is, what does that mean? If we look at his life, if we look at his teachings, if we look at the Jesus that we center this church around, what does that mean for us here? Um, and so I'll pass it back to Vince that'll introduce today's particular conversation around that. Thanks, Kyle. Yes. So uh, today, our jumping off point for responding to who is Jesus is Jesus the revolutionary. Jesus as a revolutionary. Jesus who acted and organized others to act uh, in ways that subverted societal systems that Jesus felt was unjust. And, uh, and that is a way that we follow Jesus today is to subvert societal systems that feel unjust. Uh, joining us for this discussion will be two stakeholders in our church, Laura and Lester Mitchell. Hi, guys. Are you there? Yes, yep. we are here. Hey, nice to see you guys. Uh, uh, when we meet in person, you may recognize Laura as one of our audio volunteers and Lester as one of our drummers. Uh, Laura and Lester are two of the people that consistently push our church into action and not just talk. Uh, I know them to be thoughtful observers of the world and of life. Uh, as they are both creatives. They, they both do a lot of storytelling behind cameras in their own ways. And as they both have, for better or for worse, experienced the good, the bad, and the ugly of community settings, churches, and otherwise, uh, and they've lived in a lot of different subcultures in America. So they have uh, great observations, I think, to share, and they're going to be guiding, helping guide us uh, in this uh, discussion. So uh, to start, we wanted to get some examples out there, some so the, get the juices flowing for our community of ways that we see Jesus as a revolutionary. So much of the Gospels are assumed in popular culture in America uh, that much of the revolutionary bite of them can be lost. Much of the revolutionary bite of Jesus's words and life and actions can go unnoticed or can go whitewashed by history. And so as a way to prime the pump for us all, we thought we would just kind of uh, throw out some anecdotes. So Laura and Lester, if I can kick it off with you guys, um, what is an example of a way you see Jesus acting in a revolutionary way? Um. I think, uh, actually, his mom started a Bible study, uh, and one of the first things that we read, or at least like when we went 
um, was about the, it was like the healing waters where, you know, people who were sick, who had different, you know, disabilities um, were waiting uh, for that one time a year where they can step in and be healed. And this man who uh, couldn't walk um, was waiting to go into the water and Jesus was like, why aren't you going in? And he was like, well, every time I try, someone steps in front of me. Um, and, you know, at that moment, Jesus was like, well, get up, take your bed and walk. And I think that was really key uh, for me because of like, uh, I think in a lot of ways, it's like, there's this place where you're supposed to get your needs met but there's so many people who are stepping in and getting in the, like getting in front of you. Um, it's an unfair and unjust system. And then Jesus comes in and he kind of, I guess, brings a little bit of dignity in that process and, you know, provides healing um, outside of that system of, you know, healing waters. Um, and then on top of that. Yeah. And I, it, at, the end of that story, um, you know, the religious leaders at the time are are questioning the man that was healed um, because Jesus told him, pick up your mat and walk. And they're like, "You, this is the Sabbath. You're not supposed to be doing that. And he was like, well, the man that healed me uh, told me to do this. And then they start questioning, who is this man? And he didn't know because then Jesus essentially slips away. Um, and that to me also connects with, with Jesus healing on the Sabbath in other parts of the Bible. And it's the same thing It's the Sabbath, you know, they ask, uh, the person Jesus is healing, like come back another time because now is the Sabbath and Jesus is like, you're, you're a hypocrite. Um, and I think, you know, what he's, what's happening is humans, are so stuck in our life structure and our laws. We're a little very preoccupied with laws and this is how it's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And what Jesus is getting at is like, how do we heal people? How do we help people? That is first and foremost in his mind as opposed to the law. Yeah, and I think it's also something that his aunt, uh, cause it's like a family Bible study was significant to her was that, you know, instead of it's like a person being in a wheelchair and then getting out of that wheelchair and pushing their wheelchair themselves. Right. So it's sort of like there is a dignity to it that was really significant. Um, I don't know. So. Love it. And just the, the, the idea, it's a perfect example of um, a story that has, I mean, this, this story of this man, um, uh, you know, being, uh, not able to be uh, to to get access to the healing waters, the system in in uh, ancient um, Roman Jewish world. Uh, we've heard and many have probably heard that story before. Um, it's it's even a story that's fairly well known in popular culture, even if you didn't grow up in church. And yet, it's it's much more going on below the surface if you can see the societal structures behind it. And so I just think that's a great example. Kyle, uh, what about you? What's an anecdote uh, that you uh, can think of of Jesus as a revolutionary? You know, I think 
where I always think about where Jesus is a revolutionary, you know, revolutionary is somebody who sees what's wrong and then uh, goes after it and is not, um, not bashful in their attempts to do that. I mean, I, you know, whenever I wonder, like if Jesus existed today, what were the things that he'd be angry and rail against? Um, I don't actually think we have to be that imaginative. I think he would be angry and rail against the exact same things he that made him angry in his time. What what are the times that Jesus is angry? You know, if you were to look at our wider American Christian evangelical culture, you would think like he'd be angry at people's personal morality a lot. There'd be a lot of like, he's super angry at you for the sin that you committed, which is actually not the case. You don't see him being angry at particular people because of their personal morality. He's angry at the Pharisees. He gets angry at the Roman Empire. He gets angry at where power is being used uh, to either obscure the hope that God is trying to offer or to oppress people. But it, you know, he gets angry at the money changers that take the religious institution and turn it into a place of profit for themselves. He gets angry at Pharisees who put requirements and burdens on people uh, that are, are not things that are reasonable for them to carry. And so to me, when I think about a revolutionary, I think if Jesus entered our society today, it wouldn't be like this huge, like, what, what's so different? I think he'd be angry again. I think he'd be angry at those in power that use power to oppress other people, those who use their power to bring profit to themselves. And he would have an acute anger, an acute revelation of revolution for those that use his name to maintain a status quo that benefits themselves. Um, and so I think about where his anger existed as a place of, of revolution and how that would really influence us today. Yeah, some of the uh, some of the best uh, scriptures uh, for this time, I feel like for for maybe since twenty or the last four years, um, are the uh, the woe to you uh, scriptures, uh, and uh, I think the Gospel of Matthew collects those. So if you want to find, uh, if you just want to read something, you'd be like, wow, uh, is Jesus at his angriest and talking woe to you, uh, you uh, teachers of the law, and it kind of goes on from there. It's a, it's a great read. Um, the, uh, the example that comes to mind for me, um, is, uh, Jesus saying, um, do not think that I came to bring peace, not peace, but a sword, which is like this. It, it's one of the most confusing things Jesus said, because Jesus is obviously nonviolent. That's so core to his mission. Um, but, uh, I, it, what, what I've realized in just kind of unpacking the scripture and what was going on and why Jesus said that is that from a first century Roman perspective, Jesus's original audience, it wouldn't have been confusing. It was just that Jesus was using very coded language when he uses the word peace, uh, similar to the way, like we know, we know all that is implied when somebody says, make America great again, right? Like there's so much messaging behind just those words. And, uh, and that was the way it was in the Roman world in the first century when Jesus would use words like peace, because there was this idea of Roman peace, which was, I don't know, not so different from like a Make America Great Again slogan. And the, uh, the idea in that context was uh, Roman peace meant that there, the, the Roman Empire held people together in peace, but it wasn't really peace. It was like, because anybody who dissented was like violently killed. And so, I mean, it was pretty extreme. And, uh, but they called it the Roman peace. And that was a phrase that was used. And even the word that we uh, use today, gospel, um, to talk about the stories that were written of Jesus was a political word. It, it meant the Roman peace has reached you. The good news of Roman peace has reached you. That's what gospel meant. Um, and so when Jesus uses this word peace, it's a very coded reference, much like we would understand what people say today when, when we hear make America great again. 
Uh, so anyway, like reading between the lines, this, this to me is like a perfect example of Jesus's revolutionary. He's like, do not think that I came to just do the status quo, that I came to bring a Roman peace, a fake peace. I, I came to bring a sword to that. I'm, 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 you know, like turning over the tables on that literally in the, in the money changer story. I am, I am uh, coming up against that. That's what I'm fighting. I'm in opposition to that. Uh, true peace is, is subverting and challenging power that's used to hurt other people. And it addresses those power imbalances and, and it's, and it's accomplished through like self-sacrifice, not sacrificing others. And that is really the heart of Jesus's mission is self-sacrifice. So that to me is a great picture of Jesus is revolutionary. That's just that line of like, do not think that I came to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. Um, that I think is Jesus being a revolutionary. I can't tell. Uh, it really, yeah. I was like, I can't help but think about the narrative of the reason why racism exists today is because people keep talking about it. It's this idea that what the problem is, is that we're all, we're stirring up trouble, we're, we're t people are just getting upset and being offended. And wouldn't it be easier if we just all stopped talking, this wouldn't be a problem. Like, it'd be much more peaceful if we weren't protesting and rioting right now, right? Um, but what is, what is Jesus actually talking about? He's not about maintaining the peace that maintains a broken status quo. Um, I think it's very, very well-made point, Vince. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love the way I love the way you tied that together. I mean, another thing that kind of I've been thinking about that phrase a lot um, since the summer. Um, I, I read a reflection on uh, on that passage and some others that really talked about how um, Jesus was a victim of state violence, um, which is sort of the the Roman uh, first century equivalent. Uh, of our modern day police violence. And, uh, and, and so that is, I think, a, a really important uh, parallel to draw uh, to kind of understand where would Jesus position himself today? Like that, that's a lot of what we're trying to do with this series. Where, where does Jesus live? Um, so as we, um, as we move forward, I wanna switch gears a little bit, but before we do, I do wanna say, I wonder if there are any passages or any episodes from the life of Jesus that come to mind off the top of your head for any of you who are Zooming in or Facebooking in right now, um, that you're thinking of is like, oh, maybe, maybe this is revolutionary or actually, yeah, I've, I, I've, I've done some study on this one and this one is definitely revolutionary. And just as a way, like we hope we've primed the pump a little bit to kind of see like, yeah, like these, these stories can be batted around so much in American culture. And especially if you've grown up in churches and you've heard them all your lives that we, we they get whitewashed. And so what we thought is if, if our chat could be a, a little bit of a collection of revolutionary examples from Jesus, we'd love to hear what's coming to mind for you. And if you throw those in there, Abby, our moderator today will collect them. So, uh, but to bring this to some application, as I said, I wanna, I wanna shift gears. I wanna ask Laura and Lester about one example of some revolutionary work that's going on right now uh, within our community that they've been a part of and they've helped uh, Brownline Church connect with. So uh, Laura and Lester, can you guys tell us a little bit about the Defund CPD campaign? Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so, Recently, we started getting involved with Black Abolitionist Network. Um, and one thing that they are doing as like a, you know, policy reform um, is they're pushing to defund the Chicago Police Department by 75%. Um, and when we first heard that, it was like, it, we kind of like laughed. We were like, oh yeah, okay. Uh, we were like really shocked by that. Um, but I think the more that we learned and cause I think that a lot of times with like, it's like either reform or like we're trying to reform the police. 
Um, and so with defunding, the idea was that 75% would be brought back into community resources. Um, so trying to kind of, uh, trying to like transfer that over into other resources that the community is actually asking for. Um, there was a recent budget survey that uh, the, the city put out and it asked people to prioritize what they think the budget should be spent on. And if you look at that and you're interested in looking at that, I can send you, you know, the results. Um, but basically they wanted to allocate police resources about 87% of people who did the survey wanted to reallocate that into the community. Um, that's a significant number. And I think that really speaks for itself. So um, basically the campaign is just trying to answer what the community is asking for. It's saying we want to bring all of that money that we're spending in our tax dollars into things that will actually be proactive and helping, you know, with all the problems that are happening in these communities. So, yeah. Yeah, it's a different, um, it's a little bit of a different mindset, I think, for a lot of people, because what we're used to is um, trying to solve crime by locking people up or creating new laws. Um, and, you know, a lot of people see the issues with police violence, um, but we think reform first. And for me personally, I'm, I'm kind of a all in above uh, mindset. So like if reform can help, that's great. Um, but I think what they found is that a lot of reforms haven't helped. Um, and a perfect example is uh, body cameras. Theoretically, body cameras should be a lot better for us, um, but it hasn't really reduced any police violence to any like significant extent. extent. And um, a lot of times, you know, this body cam footage is lost. Uh, cops just keep the body cams off, um, et cetera. And so the thought is, instead of thinking through punishment and then can we just make the punishment like a hair more humane instead get at the heart of the problem which is the communities themselves not being valued and not having resources um if they had the resources there would probably be less crime if you want to be completely crime focused you could still say it's poor return on investment, you know? We're throwing money at cops and we're not actually seeing a significant lowering of crime. We may see more um, if we invest in the communities. Yeah, because I mean, if you look at a lot of the more affluent, you know, communities or neighborhoods, they don't have a heavy police presence. And, you know, right now we're spending about $1.7 billion on policing. Um, that is per capita, that's more than Los Angeles and New York City. And if you were to look at the 75% that we're asking to defund, even with that, we would still be spending more than New York City on policing. So I think that should show like how much money we're throwing at this. And, and I mean, you can see that like crime is fluctuating. It's not really resolving issues. So, yeah. 
some of the stats that um, have, uh, one of the things that I think is really striking about um, in particular defund CPD and their work right now, but also uh, um, activists who are doing uh, defunding police department work all over the country is that it's just steeped in research. And there is so much, one of their big messages is that and normal people can understand this. We like there, a lot of the messaging is like, oh, it's so complex. There's no way that we can just trust the experts, just trust the experts. And that kind of says like, oh, okay, the status quo will just continue. Just trust us, we'll figure it out. And what a lot of these, the messaging around defund CPD or defund police departments across the country has been, let's get research in the hands of people because if we see it, we can understand it. So let me just kind of rattle off a few things. I mean, that just are, are shocking, okay? So every day, uh, as, as, uh, as Laura said, the, the, uh, we'll start with the every year. So the, the, uh, the budget for Chicago um, for uh, last year was $1.7 billion. It means that every day the city spends more than $4 million on the police department. One day spent on policing in Chicago, $4 million, is the equivalent of what the city spends on five months of mental health services. It is the equivalent of what the city spends on 18 months of substance abuse treatment. That's one day. And one day spent on the police is the equivalent of 32 months of what the city spends on violence protection programs. And I just, I think back to what you just said, Lester, of just like, are we actually addressing core issues, which is the communities need more resources, not more police. Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and the mental health is also like a really big piece. This is kind of somewhat anecdotal, but I was not that long ago listening to a pod podcast that had someone who is currently in prison um, call in and he had mentioned that like, you know, in, in his mind, now that he knows more about um, therapy and, and mental health resources um, that he learned before he went back for another stint in prison, um, looking around in his mind, he's like, you know, probably 90% of these people really just need mental health resources. Mm. Like, mm. Mental health resources in prisons themselves um, are, there's not enough and mental health resources outside of prisons for low income families is largely non-existent. Um, and he was like, yeah, he was just mentioning, it seems so clear to him at this point, um, now that he's looking around, it's just like it, they all just need a lot of mental health. Yeah. Help. And yeah. I mean, you know, I come from a conservative family. Um, and uh, my mom is a nurse. She's worked in psychiatric facilities. She's worked in emergency, uh, you know, uh, care facilities. So it's like, I, when speaking to her about it, I was really nervous, you know, and we, she was asking questions and I was just kind of like talking about how, what I've learned, um, the majority of it is people who have already done the work within the community, people who are in the community who have experienced these things. It's not people from the top down telling, you know, telling me this is how it should be. Um, and I think once I explained to her, like what the issues were and, how there isn't a lot of resources for like psychiatric care. Um, you know, she is a caretaker first and foremost, you know, and, and even though her politics are different from mine, she realized, yeah, like there isn't, like there isn't a lot of accessibility. 
And when talking to her, cause you know, she had all these questions about like, well, you know, police can help in these ways. And I was like, well, the community doesn't feel that way. It's like, if you don't trust, if you don't trust a doctor when you're going into the hospital, like how are you actually going to get the care you need? Mm -hmm. So it was really interesting talking to her about it because, um, cause I mean, she's where I'm like from Louisiana. So like, it's kind of like a rural area from where I'm from. And I mean, I was like, would you like, you know, somebody surveilling you and policing you? That's the most like conservative thing. Like, no, like, do not tell me what to do. Don't come into my business. Like that's such a, like, you know, conservatives, like Southern thing. So, I mean, like when I told her from that perspective of like, you know, people are coming in and surveilling them. She's like, no way. Like I would never want anybody to do that to me. I would not want to be in a community where I'm being constantly surveyed or surveilled. So I think it's just like putting in perspective of like, think about what it would be like for you and your community to have like this presence. Um, so that was really cool to like be able to talk to her about that in that way. Well, I love that you take us there, Laura, because I do think that um, the idea of defunding police departments is something that can bring up a lot of questions for all of us. And no matter where we are in terms of how progressive or conservative we might describe ourselves, everybody's gonna have questions about that. Um, some questions uh, that are, are pretty common are like, how can we stay safe if we are def if defunding the police or you know, won't defunding the police lead to crime, more crime or lawlessness or things like that? What we do about dangerous people, murderers, rapists, robbers, things like that. Why not, like what uh, Lester was mentioning before, why not reform uh, and fix rather than defund? What, what are the reasons behind uh, this, uh, this idea of defunding? And, uh, and so we wanna, we wanna say like, if you have questions right now, you're in good company because a lot of people in our community and a lot of people connected to our community a couple of steps removed have lots of questions. And we wanted to make today a chance to engage that about this specific example of revolutionary work that's going on uh, in, in, through people in our community. And so uh, we're going to end service about, you know, 10, 15 minutes early, so we can make a little bit extra time today for breakouts. Uh, and we are gonna have one breakout uh, and I'll be in it and Laura and Lester will be in it and we're gonna make space to ask some of those questions. We have some activities that we can do uh, around uh, addressing those, those questions and kind of considering them from the defund the police uh, perspective. Uh, that were, I, I was in a workshop that did this and it was really helpful to me. And so I do think that, uh, that uh, everybody can get a lot out of this. If you have questions about this, we wanna strongly encourage you to make time for this today. We'll spend about an hour together after service lets out. Uh, and if you have questions also about like ways that you can talk about this in the, in the way that Laura was talking about, like I, I, I talked about this with somebody who uh, is in my life that it felt like kind of hard to talk about this with, we'll also be uh, talking about that. And so, uh, so if that's something that interests you, it's like how can I respond to questions about this? We'd love for you to be a part of that as well. Uh, we do think it's really important for the, our church to engage this. Uh, just as we, uh, as we kind of like come full circle here and come back to this idea of um, we're, 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 we're feeling like uh, one of the key responses we need to make to who is Jesus today as we shift the narrative about, about God in America. Who is Jesus? Jesus is a revolutionary. And uh, I'm wondering, as we ask this question, uh, Abby, is there anyone who uh, has, uh, has taken us up on the offer of like, uh, yes, I actually, there are, there are revolutionary aspects to so many things that Jesus did. Yes. So um, there are a few people who are talking about 
um, just Jesus traveling with women and having women as part of his ministry. Um, and, you know, just as actual integrated or integral parts of his uh, ministry as revolutionary in and of itself. Um, Norbert mentions the story of the woman at the well um, and just kind of outlines some of the different ways that uh, even Jesus engaging with a woman um, is revolutionary. Um, and something that Angela said that I was reading and I did not know this, this is very interesting too, of the, um, the idea of turn the other cheek. Um, mm. Just, she was saying that um, it was taboo to hit someone with your left hand. I'm sorry that I'm just reading this, but um, so people would backhand someone that they thought were, um, was beneath them. So by turning your face, um, your, the person who hit you could not backhand you so that they either had to hit you again or to hit you as an equal, um, which she says that feels kind of like a nonviolent revolutionary move um, and something that was, you know, something that Jesus was saying. And so um, that is new to me. And I, I also find that just really interesting as well. Um, Vivian um, and Jerry also say just um, with, he was, you know, working with um, lepers and just going into lots of different communities of where, um, other people would, other people would, I guess, see them as, um, lesser, um, and not really being, um, afraid or, uh, uh seeing that as something that was taboo for him. And Barbie, oh, awesome stuff. everyone is just keeps chatting. So, or the yeah, temple, please, please. Temple, I think you mentioned that too, but, um, it sounds like people are thinking about this. So feel free to keep, um, putting those in the chat too. Um, and I'm sorry if I, missed some of them. That's great. Thank you, Abby. And, and, and yes, and I also really resonate with just that, that background on turn the other cheek. That's a great poll, Angela, of just a, one of those things. It's like, oh, it, it's a wonderful thing that maybe we've heard before. Like, yes, Jesus was a wonderful ethical teacher, but Jesus was also a revolutionary. And we don't want to just whitewash these things. We want to see that he saw the way systems and power were laced over everything that we did. It wasn't just about two people who are on equal footing being kind to each other. This is about overturning power dynamics that oppress people. Jesus was all about that. And so I just love that. This is great. Thank you guys, everybody who participating in that way and throwing more examples into the into the bin here. We'll, we will collect these for later. We like this. Um, so at this point, I think, I think my, my spiritual takeaway, if I will. So the meditation practice that we did at the top of today's service about getting ourselves into a place where we feel most safe and then just trying to, you know, let that work on us and say, who's there and where's God there? And just try to let that, let that bring us into a calm space. That meditation practice, something like that, I don't know if you know this, is often done in conversations around defund the police. And the reason is because that, that is, that, that's, such a, that's such a common practice when you, when you start conversations about this, because here's what the researchers find, is that no one ever answers the question, who is there with the police? And yet we have this interesting like thing where we equate safety uh, from a policy perspective with police. We equate law enforcement with safety. And that's just a really interesting thing because intuitively when any of us tries to dial down and go to a place that feels emotionally and spiritually safe to us, we're, not, we're never thinking about law enforcement, right? 
We're thinking about all of the resources we have. We're thinking about all of the love and the connection that we feel. We're thinking about all of the, the people who are important to us and the things that allow us to feel like this is home. This makes me feel like I can be myself. Those are the things we think about. And again, so I just bring us back to, I think a remarkably Jesus-like statement, which is the, the essence of this message from Defund CPD, this campaign that we've been engaged with and that Laura and Lester are telling us about. The essence of their message is that the safest neighborhoods have more resources, not more police. And so I want us, I want us to let that settle in our hearts. I want us to let that settle in our hearts in terms of how we think about God and how we think about where Jesus lives in 2020 America. Let's, uh, let's throw some action steps up on the screen here for us, just so uh, everyone knows how they can uh, come away with today um, uh, what, what, like, what can you do? So first off, we're, again, we're mentioning join our breakout after service today. Uh, you can private message Abby, our, our moderator today in the chat and comments to sign up. So just find Abby Dye in the participants area, uh, of Zoom and you can join in on that. If you're watching on Facebook and you'd still like to participate in that, no problem. You can just hop over to the Zoom call when the Facebook live feed ends and we'll do the breakout here in Zoom. We're asking also if, if you're compelled by what we talk about today or what you learn in the breakout to sign the defund CPD petition. They're trying to get a ton of signatures. This is a key and pivotal time because budget conversations about what next year's budget will be happen in November. This is the time. This is the time that we need to be applying pressure if we're passionate about reallocating funds to give resources to communities and not just more police. And then finally, one last thing, Brownline Church, us, we are going to uh, plan a meeting with uh, some Chicago aldermen, particularly ours that, uh, that we're involved with uh, in our, our host home at the Davis Theater, that's Matt Martin, and then also any uh, possibly a couple of other aldermen just based on where people in our community live in Chicago. And if you'd like to be a part of that team, we're looking for a small team of people uh, to be uh, a part of uh, planning a meeting so that we can more clearly say, hey, here are some people in the community, community leaders, that this matters to, uh, to, uh, to, to elevate this issue in policymaking here in Chicago. So you can also email me for that um, if, uh, if, you, if you're wanting to help. All right. Well, we've, uh, we've considered a great deal. I do want you all to be thinking about breakouts as we, as we move to the close of our service. But just as we're thinking about where Jesus comes into this and the way that he compels us, and then maybe our own feelings and, and thoughts as we're talking about something that feels pretty extreme, feels pretty revolutionary, defunding the police. I think it would be good for us to just sell our hearts and pray a little bit. So uh, Kyle, can I ask you to just lead us in prayer as we, as we come to a close? Lord, I ask that you would be with us, that you would increase our belief in your love for us and your love for those around us. I ask that you would give us a vision for being part of a world as you created. I ask for all the ways that imagining things different causes stress and anxiety, all the ways that status quo and sameness, particularly for those of us that benefit, feel safe. I ask that you would help us see with your eyes Help us see the affection, the care, the commitment you have for all of us. And that you would challenge us 
to see that the life we long for, the life that is full and rich, is one that is not lived with just our own experience in view. And that we see that from the moments that you walked to this earth to the moments that you act today, that where you positioned yourself, what you fought for, the changes that you brought into this space was about creating room and space, opportunity and acceptance for more. And I pray that our hearts would feel challenged to see how we can fight for the same thing as a church and as a people that want to follow you not in culture, but in relationship. And that you would individually connect, guide, and resource us to walk forward. Amen.